Welcome to Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I have an excellent guest today and also a friend. So why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Dwight Douglas. Um, I'm an old guy. I'm retired. I used to be in the software business. I was in the software business for 16 years, selling software by the seashore uh, and uh, to radio stations, uh, TV stations, cable stations all across the world. And I, um, I also... Um, in the radio business before that, too. Then the radio business for 500 years. <laughs> I was there with uh, Marconi making the macaroni. Exactly. And uh, so, no. So, and I was a consultant for God, 25 years, 22 years or whatever. And I traveled all around the world and worked with Fun Radio in Paris and Virgin Radio in the UK and a million radio stations in the United States and New Zealand and uh, all kinds of places. Well, you're a great guy. I'm going to get into our backstory, which is a fun backstory, and then we'll get into the, to the show. But I encourage people to go visit do not listen to this podcast.com. Your donation. I don't listen to it. I, I don't, don't listen to it. Nobody does. I mean, and not, who does? Very successful. We're a success out of the box. We have more people paying attention to the title. Um, and uh, supporting the podcast, half your donations go to Feeding Straight Cats and Dogs. That's a blast. We love doing that. And by the way, so your uh, podcast people's knows you did receive the Golden Bull Award. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a few months ago, and it went unnoticed because of COVID. So. I don't like to to uh, uh, you know toot my own horn on the, these awards. So our story. So just so the listeners know, I was uh, Dwight was part of the top uh, consulting firms in the country with Rockstation, and I was the punk kid that come up uh, starting a business writing comedy using email in 1984 when nobody knew what the hell it was. <laughs> and, then, and then ended up producing WMMR. But so Dwight and I, we initially were competitors, but we became friendly, right? That's what, that's amazing. We, we both became fans of each other's work. And, and so that's how, and I, I, I think that's an important message. You know, we'd like to talk about leadership, business growth and creativity, and we'll get into all those with you. I think that's a, a leadership thing that we should talk about is how you can become friendly with competitors. So first of all, I would, I, I would say the two hardest things I, I've ever done is write comedy for radio right. and play hockey. Uh, hockey is, first of all, you have to skate. And yeah. most comedy writers are skating constantly from one subject to another. And what the puck, sometimes they just don't deliver the joke. And it's so hard because in radio, you don't have that instant feedback like you have on stage or exactly. And so you're really you writing in a real cerebral vein. So you have a zero feedback, and that's the thing you have to say, you have to know that it's funny. Right. You, you have to you have to commit to, hey, this is funny. And you're gonna find out if it is or isn't from your listeners, but it's not gonna be in real time. It's yeah, and, and, and that carries over to management techni techniques. I think probably one of the things that we've all learned and like in commercials, they've already tested it. They know that if there's a great sense of humor uh, in a commercial or, or an advertisement, printed advertisement, it, it cuts through if people right. remember things. And so uh, the, man, the idea of managing people and keeping a sense of humor, very, very important. I mean, the people will, will always work harder for people they like and for some reason, people love people who are funny. That's a weird thing, but it, they it gravitate weird. towards that. And, you know, back to your thing about comedy writing and hockey, those are both similar contact sports. 
you know, com yeah. comedy <laughs> is a contact sport. People are going to get hurt. That's the challenge with comedy is that, you know, you have to decide, okay, who am I going to, who am I going to hurt? I'm going to try to keep the target on my back, but what, what, what group of people do I, I don't care if they like me or not. Right. You, if you're cross-checking, you know, if you're knocking someone against the glass, yeah. you're, you're doing that for an offensive or defensive reason. And I, I took the Robert McKee uh, screenwriting seminar. And one of the things Robert said is if you're writing comedy, you cannot think, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Because oh, no. if you do, you're out, you're gone. You'll never be able to achieve great funniness. Yeah, you can't, um, you know, you can't, because what you're really doing is, when it comes to comedy, what people don't understand is you're taking the anger and the angst of what's really going on. Right. And saying it in a way that people go, oh man, I wish I had said that, or I wish I thought of that, or that's how, that's the root of it. The challenge with comedy writing, as you get successful, is the same challenge as with that musicians had, is that once you become successful, the anger diminishes, hopefully. And right. you really need to tap into the anger for, you know, for comedy writing. It's right. I had, a, I had a shrink one time and told me that I'd never be a great writer because I had such an easy life. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, now I'm pissed off at the psychiatrist. So I went out and I wrote a great piece well, you've because I was so lot. pissed off. You've, <laughs> you've been, one of the reasons you wanted to jump on was you want to put, uh, promote your new book. So let's talk about what happened to you this year, which was not fun, but how you turned it into something creative and now people can get it in the form of a book. And it's not your first book you've written. How many now have you written? Oh, no. Uh, I since I've retired in six years, I've written six books. Yeah. And uh, it's a little bit like Poison Ivy. You know, I get it every spring. Do you, but, how do you uh, feel about this book? Because with each book that, that I've written, I know I get better at writing each book. I get smarter about it. I get tighter about it. How did you feel on this one? That's number six is a lot. Did you feel like this is the most solid writing so far? Well, no, but it doesn't matter because I view it as you're writing the same book over and over again. That's true. And hopefully the next one is a little better than the last one. But as far as technology is concerned, as far as how to deal with uploading an e-copy for Kindle or a printed copy right. for, for printing, yeah, I'm learning more about that. I got all kinds of templates I'm using and stuff like that. But still, you have to get down and, and write it. every day. And uh, I would say this one is more passionate because the personal story is that this the year started and I thought, okay, it's the new year, 2020. This is going to be great and everything. And the book starts out with Kobe Bryant and his daughter being killed in a helicopter crash. Yeah, which and is then, not a great you, way to start a year. Right. And for the, for the year before that, in 2019, aside from our stupid president, I was having a pain in my stomach. It was right at my sternum, uh, Howard's sternum. That's exactly where the pain was. And uh, so I went and I, I went to the doctor and they did an endoscopy, which is goes down your throat. They put a camera down there. It got a big RCA TK90 down there. It was a live, live streaming, right? You were live streaming. Oh, yeah, I was live streaming. And they found nothing. So no, nothing in my stomach. So I went up north for the summer. I came back. I still had the pain. I went back to the gastro doctor and he said, well, let's do a colonoscopy. And uh, so they did that and they found a large growth in my colon. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm just 
this is crazy. Why is it called endoscopy when it goes in your mouth? Right. But colonoscopy is up the other way. It's like it should endoscopy should be up the other way, right? It's, so anyway, it's uh, not a pleasant experience for those of you that haven't had it yet. Right. Well, I I take the full drug treatment. I go out and I don't feel anything. Yeah, but, but that's anyway, the whole, that's part of it that makes it loopy, right? Is you you know you yeah, feel, very loopy. You feel like you had a an experience, but you're not really sure. you like you feel like you got roofied. Um, yeah, right. And, yeah, and, and then when you come out of it, the doctor was gone because he had to take an emergency. But uh, the nurse says uh, there's a very large growth in your in your uh, colon, and and uh, needless to say, we're gonna have to take it out. And I'm thinking, needless to say, needless. Well, if it's needless to say, why did you just say it? I mean, yeah, why, what is this? Yeah. Now I'm coming. I'm still in the in the fog of anesthesia. Sure. Uh, I dated her in college, a Greek girl. Yeah. But Great. I gotta tell you, it, yeah. I, I yeah I. I said, okay, I'm going to beat this. And so you wait for the biopsy to come back. The biopsy comes back and they say, yes, it's positive. It's like, well, that's good. No, no, positive for cancer. That's bad. <laughs> Negative for COVID is good. Positive. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so, so I said, okay, let's cut it out. I got a surgeon. I mean, a surgeon. And he was able to go in there and take everything out. And uh, so I tell the story about that. Well, well the day I'm to get the surgery... Uh, I have to be moved to a different hospital because they discovered the first two cases of COVID okay. in the operating room so in, you, the, in the hospital. This is very interesting because if you think about it, right, this is where you start to think about, man, there's got to be kind of things like you are definitely the kind of guy who will beat something like this, right? Now, you know, if you say I'm going to beat it, you're twice. Like, yeah. So you, you, you're that guy. But think of if it had happened a week later. Or a month later, or, a month or I would have, or just said, ah, just keep drinking whiskey and that'll, that'll take the stomach pain exactly. away or whatever. That's right. Just think I, it, I would be dead. I yeah. would be Rush Limbaugh. So, yeah. uh, so the point is, is that I said, I start writing a daily COVID, COVIDity report is what I called it. And I sent it to friends and family because I was concerned that they weren't getting enough information about the uh, right. pandemic. So I wrote this out, send it out every day, and I started to write side notes. And then all of a sudden I say, well, wait, let's do a little diary of this thing because it's 2020. We've got this global pandemic. Things are going crazy. And as I'm writing it, I'm also writing a political blog. I have a, a blog called Why Wait For, the number four years.com. And I've been writing that since, uh, what's his name got elected? But anyway, the point is, is that I was able to take those three things, the political aspect of global pandemic, the, the medical concept of a person having cancer and trying to get better, right. which is the analogy or metaphor for the nation trying to get better. Well, that's and, right. That's, that's exactly right. That's right. It's a, it's a good, it's a good um, comparison. So when someone said, wear a mask, I was like, okay, I'll put them on. I'll put four on. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny with these people that, you know, the wear a mask people, the not wear a mask people. Yeah. The not wear a mask people are really... I don't get it, but whatever. I'm not. I'm not even worried about trying to convince them. Like it's like fine. You'll figure it out. You want well, dark, to. You want to enjoy dark. the experience, uh, but you'll yeah. you'll figure it out. So yeah. let's let's talk about what the title of the book is. How it just came out, right? It's just out. Yeah, this week. So we're all up and running on Amazon, and it'll it'll flow through to Goodreads and to Barnes and Noble and all those right. other those is networks. This the first but, interview you've done on it. What's that? Is this the first interview you've done on the book? Yes, as a matter of fact, because I was sitting here uh, tell at the story. railroad tell, tell station. Tell them what happened. Tell them how the interview uh, came about. Well, actually, I, I love technology. I mean, I hate technology. I hate 
social media, but I'm I'm a whore. I use right. social media to promote all my stuff. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to write something, you want somebody to read it, right? Yes. It's like a useless if you do it the other way around. That's right. Uh, so the fact is I went on LinkedIn and there you were doing your morning, whatever that is. Right. And morning for me, not morning for you. But, and I, as I was watching it, I started to like sort of troll you. Zoom live. Zoom live. Yeah. And I'm trolling you a little bit. I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh, this is terrible. You're actually like, you're like banging Roger here on his, his Zoom live promoting your book and say, hey, I'm not, I, I, I don't have that much time. I'm 72 years old. I want to sell as many books as possible so, so that my grandkids can get all my money. That was really funny because I was actually LinkedIn Live because that's what it is. It's LinkedIn Yeah, Live. LinkedIn Live, whatever. But no. we've gotten both brands promoted here. So that's yeah, the important are, thing. Both are being used. Both are very, but it was funny because, it, you know, you did, it was so, I cracked up because I know Doug. So it's not, I mean, I know Dwight. So it's not, um, uh, he's not trolling me in a way. It's, what's funny is he doesn't know it's just audio and he's putting up the, the picture. Yeah, there. right, 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 exactly. So, <laughs> but the point is I'm holding up now a, a book I wrote that came out right as COVID was starting, How to Hire, How to hire Great People, a yeah. Tips, Tricks, and Templates for Success. So I put this book out and it's selling pretty good. You know, people were wanting to know, you know, know how to interview people and how to hire people and everything. And COVID hits and all of a sudden, book sales stop. It's like the whole world stops. Everything closes. It's like crazy. It's like bad luck. So then I thought, then I got cancer just as COVID came. It says more bad luck, but I got to turn this bad luck into good, right? So the title of the book is called what? Mashed potatoes, cancer, COVID, and comfort food. Right. And it's a It's a funny read. You put some humor in there, didn't you? Well, it, yeah. Well, the, the, the little tab on it says uh, a humorous, a humorous recollection of 2020. And one of my editors said, you know, 2020 wasn't that humorous. I mean, why are you saying that? I, I didn't have it stuff is but, kind of but funny. <laughs> humorous, humorous is in quotes. I mean, doesn't that mean yeah. when you do quotes around something, doesn't mean it's the opposite of thing? Like she's really a talented actress, right? When you put the quotes around. Sorry. Yeah. My mic. No, it's very funny. So what what do you think? What do you think people need to understand about creativity and how they can take something painful like this experience and turn it into something positive? What, what, what the, tip would you give me? Okay, one of the quotes in the book, uh, at the I think the last chapter, as a matter of fact, um, I, w- I watched the Fran Lebowitz uh, thing with um, Mari Scorsese on HBO, which right. is basically a rambling talk with her or whatever. And I talk about my experience with her on, on Eastern Airlines, which wasn't pleasant. But anyway, the point is that she made the comment and it was like a revelation, like a, you know, epiphany, of blah, 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 whatever. She said, talent isn't evenly distributed. That's right. So the thing about people that aren't creative and, they, and when you need to have creativity to boost the project or to bring home a product or whatever, go find someone who's creative and take, put, actually put blinders on, your judgmental blinders, so that when someone comes up with an idea, you know, it's like the person who comes up to it, let's have a brainstorming session in, in and around a conference table, and well, someone says, hey, uh, let's, let's have all your best ideas. And, and the lady says, well, let's make a big pink sign. And well, the leader of the group says, oh, no, no, that won't work. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? You have now shut off the, fo- the valve of creative thinking because everybody now shifts into negative judgmental 
And once they live in that zone, they can't come up with a great idea. Yeah. My problem is, and it's I'm bragging, but I'm not really bragging. I'm just, I, this took me a long time to learn, but I'm very creative and very quick. So yeah. what would happen is someone would say, we need to, so I would take my legal pad and I would write my idea down. I would let everybody else speak. I would wait for as long as possible to give my idea because, because I'm this, you know, bull in a china shop. I didn't want the other people not to come up with their ideas because they were overwhelmed by the leader's idea or, or my idea in a group like that. So that's the first thing, but you can't manufacture talent. You can't say, here's the guy that, that is running this big group and everything. And he should be the person who says, this is the slogan, or this is the, the strategy. And the thing about it is, if you think to what happened during the COVID, we had, we had the least medical person in the whole United States giving daily <laughs> advice on what to do in a COVID crisis. It's like, what are you crazy? Yeah. It would be like asking the mailman, it's like, hey, come on in and do my taxes for me. It's like, he, he yeah. may be good at it, but he may not be good at it. And well, in I the case of- you, you brought up a big, a good point. And I, I wanna hit on it and give you some credit because back in the day, you were, if, like if you knew Doug, or, I mean, Dwight, sorry. You got the double name, first name. And I always, yeah, yeah. My, my, all my football coaches called me Douglas. So I just went with it. When people if, say Doug, I just, it's like water you, off a duck's ass. If you knew Dwight back in the day, um, you could get a job at any major radio station. And that's a fact. Okay. And true. It, it's true. And so that's how we connected because we met at a convention and you had found out about me with the comedy writing and how I got to MMR as a competitor of you guys. You guys weren't doing MMR at the time, I don't think. Right. Um, and we started, you were like, how did you do this? How did you, how did you, because I was a punk kid. Like I said, I was a punk kid. And that is really, really key. I think that a lot of times when people are in those leadership positions, especially when they need creative people, they forget, just go talk to creative people. Right. And be open to the fact that I remember interviewing somebody. I, it's, I put it in the How to Hire, Hire Great People book. Right. A guy came in, uh, graphic designer, web guy. And we interviewed a bunch of people that day. And my assistant at the time said, I don't think you should hire him. He didn't have socks on. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's the most creative guy. And the thing that I liked about him is he was creative, but he wasn't out there in wacko land. He basically was able to grasp. He showed me all, all the work he did for other clients. And he was able to grasp the style, the look, the feel, the commercial art aspect of every one of those clients. And that impressed me too, because that said that he was flexible, but he wasn't, he, it wasn't creativity for creativity's sake. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the other thing is, you know, there are some people that are so out there that they come in, it's like the Grateful Dead creative designer yeah. who ends up spending $50 million on something that doesn't work. That's right. So you yeah, you don't want, you, what you don't want to hire is the creative terrorist. Yeah, that's good. That's what that's you good. don't want. You don't want to be in a hostage situation with a creative terrorist. You want right. one to understand, like, look, I'm creative, but that's not the whole thing. That's a part of the picture. Right. Someone said to me recently, they said, well, we want to get somebody in here to be disruptive. I said, well, why, you don't don't? You get somebody, why don't you get somebody in here that's going to be successful? 
What and I think that's right. No, no, go ahead. No, no, you're, you're, you're no. The uh, point is that disruption, disruption is more like a like a an industry strategy. It's like, well, we like we're Apple. We got to come in here and be destructive or distracting, oh, or we got to be whatever, oh. uh, right? Demonic, you know, all the D's you could put in there. But the fact is, that, is that sooner or later, somebody has to say, "Ooh, I like how that looks. I like what that does. I want that." And that's the key to it. With humor, as you know, everything changes so quickly because yeah, 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 that's right. the cancel culture, the Me Too, the the Black Lives Matter, <laughs> yeah. Old Lives Matter, whatever it is. You, everything keeps changing to where the point is, you think you have a great routine or great joke, you do it, and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh. But cancel culture has been around forever. And I, forever. This, when people, I'm like, you're complaining about cancel culture. They killed Jesus. That was all yeah, they canceled. That starts, it's even before that. Right? <laughs> and it was the same politicians. Like been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Pontius Pilate was like, you know, I don't really yeah. want to kill this guy, but. You know, yeah. I need something to, to tell Rome. I'm like doing my job or whatever, you know. And then and then the uh, all the, the high priests in the temple were like, you got to get rid of this guy. He's like cutting out the middleman. We, gotta, yeah, we right. need to keep him. We need to and protect our business here. It's funny. It's easy because they like these slogans, right, of cancel culture. It's like, it's not cancel culture. It's like you did some dumb shit and you got to go. That's what it is. It's a market. It's a free market thing, right? Right. right. I, I agree. Mean, you know, you've, you, you, it's like... Um, it's like the comedian, what's, I think his name is Chris D'Elia or whatever, right? Well, you know, if, right. once you find out that it's, you've been, you know, hanging out with underage girls, you're done. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's one of that. the- Nobody wants right. that. There, there's certain taboos that will always yeah. be taboos. And one of the things, one of the challenges when you're writing a book about having cancer, you're, you're very cognizant of the fact that there are people out there who have cancer who yes. were diagnosed on the front end of stage four. I was stage two. And um, I love being on the stage, but you don't want to be on three or four. And so when you're writing a joke, like, for example, I go into the, the uh, oncologist's office and I say, they say, they say, how do you feel? I say, oh, I feel great. Are you kidding me? Now I have a semicolon. I'm going to be able to do better run on sentences. Yeah. And, you know, they're all laughing like crazy. But the people that are in the other room getting the chemo that are, you know, walking the last mile, as I say, that you that's not a joke for them they shouldn't read this no, book no because this is a success story based on luck it's luck that it was caught that that soon yeah and who knows who knows I, what happens i think that that's that's also important right is that everybody isn't going to like you you know i when i coach doctors i would say look it's really easy you're going to do something three things are going to happen people are going to like you People are going to not like you, and most people aren't going to even know that you exist. Right. Those are the three right. things that are going to happen. That's right. right. I had a guy work for me one time. He says, "I love working with you, but I hate working for you." And yeah. uh, and, and and I said, "What do you mean by this?" He said, "Well, you know, you can cut out all the jokes and all the routines and everything. I just let's just get to the business." I said, "Buddy, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I'm on a personal level. I'm encouraged by people who laugh." I'm encouraged by people that see the creativity for what it is. And if, if, if it's all just going to be straight up business and straight up serious, whatever, no you know, when you deal with no whatever business, right. When, just like the editors, the editors will come back and be like, I don't understand this. So the first thing you have to do is you have to say, did I stray off too far? Cause I tend to bounce around. So did I stray off too far? And then I come back and say, does it keep 
promoting or analyzing or explaining the, the, the major premise. Right. And so, I, and, and I always do this in politics too. I always say, what's the end game? Right. Just tell me what the end game is. If you want to suppress the vote in the United States, just say it. Just, yeah. just say, well, you know, or, or, or like, like, yeah. don't try to act like you're not doing it. Or like, if you're making a decision based on the fact that you're afraid of, an, of a former president, what he's going to say about you, you're in the wrong business, dude. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. out, get yeah. out, get out of that thing because it's time to roll on and That's get right. to the next thing. So, you know, what, I, what business growth tip would you give listeners? What's your, what's your biggest business growth tip? Because you've grown a couple of businesses. So. Yes, I would say the thing about, I think we're back into an era of what it looks like. Yeah. Funny thing to say, but it's true. I start subscribing to, there's a company that sells blades for shaving braids, uh, right. uh, shaving braids, or shaving blades right. called Harry's. And I'm not giving them a plug. I just said, okay, let me try that. It's cheaper or whatever. And uh, the packaging comes, it's so beautiful. Right. And all their web design is beautiful and everything else like that. And it just sings, it drips class and hipness and right. coolness and all that stuff. It just looks modern. And, and you want to say, hey, they must be on top of their game. So the idea of how something looks, you know, it, when you do a, a, a website that says from the desk of, it's like, right. what? <laughs> what yeah. is that? Well, yeah. That's a stupid name. So, so how you name something, how you present it visually, how it feels, how it tastes, how it smells, all that is very, very important. So I think we're back to that image is very, very important. Right. And then the other thing is consistency. I think a lot of people bounce from one idea to the other. Let's change the logo. Let's change this. Ever. I mean, I was in the store the other day and I was looking for a product and I was like, where the hell is it? And then I realized they had changed the packaging. And I'm thinking to myself, why did they change the packaging? They're not even over the crest of that total success because somebody in the advertising department says, you know, people said at the focus group that, you know, the pretzels, they're called shells, but they're not really shells. They're actually pretzels that just break apart uh, easily. And so we need to explain that. Uh, we yeah. need to give them an added benefit. It's like, no, stop. So Consist just carry out your plan to the furthest point before you screw with it. Consistency is a great uh, suggestion because people forget it takes time and a lot more time than people realize for people to catch up to your product or your service. That's right. That's right. You're you, always you'll be bored with it by the time they catch up. That's when you know you got it. That's why like, right. like the bands that didn't want to play their hit song that bought their houses, right? It's like they're sick of playing. It's like, well, that's the only reason these people are here paying you. So play it. When, when I was in radio, you start out with a radio station and the station was doing pretty good. And you thought, you know, you believed your press, you believed right. all the accolades and the, the groupies that came up to you at, at uh, shows and stuff. But I used to always tell programmers, when you start to count the number of negative letters, mm -hmm. you know you've made it. Yeah. Because the, the, the number of people that would take the time to write a letter is very small. But as your total audience grows greater and greater, the number of negatives come up higher and higher. Now, you know, there's always, there's a, there's a you, on a straightforward mass of your product, you don't want to have your negatives to be too, too great. Right. But on other products, like a Howard Stern, features say, well, you know, 32% of the people say they'll never listen to them and they hate them. And I said, and they tell all their friends they hate them. Right. 
So polarity in that situation, that's a polarity driven product. Polarity is what makes that work. Where in other times, if you're, if you're trying to produce some sort of mass appeal product, you really want to keep your eyes on satisfaction. Do you, can you get no satisfaction? You know, because if you, because really when people say, I love it, I'm not going to change. That's my product. Oh, that's success. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we used to get uh, death threats and I would schedule them and I would actually get people to give me their phone number and then just hand it over to the FBI. Yeah, I mean, right. It, <laughs> but if they take the time to write a letter, you knew yeah. you had them, right? It's like, yeah. like all you had to do in radio, at that, it's like anything else. All you had to do is change the dial. If you you, you didn't change the dial and then you, we've got this emotional connection to you and it's, and you, the emotional connection happens to be hatred, right? We still have you as the listener, right? Right. And and I think that the, the era that we into now, I just wrote a piece this morning about how these people are coming to city council meetings and, and uh, school board meetings. And there, there's like 50, 60 people all chanting, you know, unmask our kids, unmask yeah, yeah, our kids. And, and now what happens is they have to shut the meeting down. They have to move the meeting. They have to do, so business doesn't get done. And I kept saying, I said, well, why is this, how is this productive? How does this get anything going? It's like, really? It, it isn't, it isn't productive. And it's just the tyranny of the minority, right? Yes. Because yes. And what, that's the tyranny of the minority is, is where we're in right now. And that will pass. But we're in it. Right. But but people in this country, in the United States, they're very, very fortunate to be in such a, a great country. In 1804, Napoleon in France, if you would have gone in and said, unmask our kids, yeah. they'd all be out the next morning with the guillotine on the park. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the guy's sharpening up the blade. Okay, cut the law, cut the law. Well, people of France. What would you want people to take away other than buying your book? from the, I've listened to this episode all the way up to here, what would you want them to, to take away? It could be about anything. It could be about creativity. It could be about leadership. It could be about business. Growth. What would you want them to take away? Well, the main thing is, is that a book is a book. I mean, you, you, this book is relevant for the time and space or whatever, but then on a long-term basis, 50 years from now, someone finds this book and says, oh, this is kind of like a historical account of that pandemic. And we just read the historical count of 1918, 1919 pandemic. Let's read the 2020, 2021 pandemic. And then in 50 years from now, they're dealing with, you know, spider bites that whatever. So from, from, from the book standpoint, I, I do think it's a relevant historical record of what happens besides the stuff that happened to me right. and the political uh, ramifications of the whole thing. But on leadership, I would say the main thing is people need to lighten up lighten up and focus and try to get yourself in a position where each day you get up and you sit down and you say, what are the three things that I could do today? Write them on a piece of paper. Say, these are the three things I could do today that would make my business or my idea or my uh, book even better. And if you do that every day, it's a little bit like a mantra, a prayer, a, a goal, a credo, It'll help you focus because inevitably, as soon as you come into your business or you get online and someone pops up and they're like, well, Mary is complaining about the water <laughs> in the break room and the water in the break room is just so, 
it and the and the, the tepid water. You know, we really have a real problem with the refrigerator. It's up, and you're like, all of a sudden, you're running around like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to solve Mary's problems and all those other problems that have nothing to do with your business. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing. With if you want to be successful in business, say to yourself, is this relevant to 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 my three goals of the day? Yeah. And again, you be flexible. You may have to throw one out and put somebody else's in, especially if the boss says, I want you to, you got to do that, okay? But if you stick to your own path every day of achievement, you'll, you'll be so successful, it'll be a joke. You'll be, you'll be like me. You'll be sitting around reading, you know, writing stupid books. But. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. It was great to have you and great to catch up. Thank you, Roger. This was really interesting. And uh, I'm just sorry there wasn't visual because I know I, I'm so good looking. You know, I just tell the people I look like Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan. No, no, I look like uh, her. <laughs> Funny.